Welcome to the Ottawa University Chi Alpha Podcast. I want to talk to you about this idea that, that there is more. I want to compel you to do something greater, to do something more. So maybe if you're in this room, you probably have somewhat of an idea of who God is. If you grew up in America, you probably even watched um, TV shows or movies where they mentioned God or there's a priest or there's some religious person in the movie or TV show that talks about God. So you have at least an idea that there is probably a God. Maybe you're in this room and you're still kind of wondering if there is or not. But I'm telling you this. No matter where you are in your journey of faith, there's more. There's more that God not only wants for you, but he already has for you. There's more. Now, to get to more, we're going to talk about this word here, victory. Uh, we, we want to find victory. Now, I've prayed before and I've spoken before about things like anxiety and depression, um, things like addictions or just ah, there's all sorts of things we've talked about that we may look at this idea of victory and hope to have victory over. Now, I want to talk to you really quickly about three dudes that know what victory is. And most of you probably know who, more than likely, you know who all three of them are. The one in the middle, maybe not so much, but we'll find out. Uh, but Michael Jordan, you've probably heard of him. Um, if you haven't heard of him, don't worry about it. Not a big deal. Um, before you all were born, not before me, but before y'all were born, he was an awesome basketball player. Um, he is the GOAT. Yes. Um, anybody who says otherwise um, is drinking a really poisonous Kool-Aid and needs to stop because um, it's not healthy for you. But anyway, Michael Jordan, he knew victory. If there's a lot of, there's a lot, holy cow, there's maybe too much, um, of documentary after documentary after documentary after documentary on Jordan and his work ethic, his ability to play and practice free throws. Like a guy that, I mean, you're a professional. You'd, you'd think if you're a basketball player, by the time you get paid to do what you're good at, you would be able to make a free throw. But we know that not all basketball players know how to make free throws. I think Shaq's free throw percentage is somewhere in like the 26%. And he was a professional basketball player. But <laughs> Jordan's was different. This next guy, um, do you know who this is? Okay, very good. The great one. That's right. If you've ever um, even if you know what ice is, you know who that guy is. Um, not ice that goes in your in your cup to drink soda or whatever, but ice that you skate on. Wayne Gretzky is not arguably he is also the goat when it comes to hockey. He was that good. His worth work ethic was amazing. Now somebody that is near and dear to me uh, who changed the face of sport. Um, obviously, he just recently passed away. But one of my favorite guys. I know. Yeah, Pele. All right, Pele, like you're talking, these other two guys grew up in first world countries where even like, and I, and I don't want to, to belittle anybody or belittle anything, but even in like the poorest places in America, you can still find a basketball. Okay? Like go to like the slums of an inner city project or something like that. There's still probably a basketball court. Probably not an actual net. Maybe it's chain or whatever else, but there's probably basketball because that's, that's a cheaper sport to play. Uh, I'm not trying to say anything negative about that, but what I'm saying is Michael Jordan, both Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky kind of grew up 
in a world where the things that they needed for their sport were easily accessed. When we're talking about Pele, we're talking about a guy who they would get together as kids. And whoever's parent gave them the largest sock, they would stuff their shirts in or whatever else and tie it off and make it a ball. And that's how they would play soccer. Not kidding. That is how Pele played soccer when he was six. Okay. He took the number 10. If you don't know anything about soccer, I know I'm geeking out just a little bit right now. But number, the number 10 was literally just a number. Uh, when he passed away, there were many famous current soccer players that talked about it, how 10 was just a number. It just was a number. And then Pele got a hold of it. It's like every kid who plays basketball, what number do they want? 23. Why? All right, you got okay, whatever. Because it was Jordan's number. Any kid that played soccer, not me, because um, I, I wasn't a playmaker and I couldn't score. Um, and I was slow and chubby. Um, husky. Anyway, um, I didn't have the number 10. I had, like, number 13 or something because I was lucky. Or I don't know. Wait a minute. Anyway, um, but the number 10 was the number that all the kids that wanted to be good wanted to have. Now, most of the number 10s that I knew growing up um, – they work a desk job now. Anyway, um, but, but these three guys knew victory. They knew how to attain victory, and it cost them a lot of stuff. It cost them something to attain that victory. There was a thing that they had that not a lot of other players have, even on a professional level. Like, you can look at professional players. Think about whatever sport that you play or sport that you do. Um, your professional people, the guys are at the top of the top. Even anybody that's in like that top 10 category of like, well, they're in the top 10 possibly being around the goat or whatever else it is. Those guys have a different work ethic than most everybody else, even in the professional realm. Like Tom Brady, I can't stand Tom Brady as a football player, but the dude knows what the heck he's doing. He's 58 and still playing football. Okay, he's not 58. He's like 41 or something like that. No, uh, 46, he, 46. For, he's he's 100, 103, I think. Uh, for a professional athlete, the bro is... Anywho. Okay, so maybe he's terrible this year. Okay? He's terrible. But the man has more rings, literally, than anybody else in history. That's crazy. But his name's not up here because we don't care about American football. All right. But First Corinthians 9. Okay, I'm sorry, Camp. I do care about American football. But only in the college level. All right. First Corinthians 9, 24 through 26 is this. Don't you realize? This is hilarious to me that we're talking about victory. We're talking about some discipline. We're talking about sport. And yet the thing that keeps coming back up in Scripture is running. And I'm constantly talking about how ridiculous it is. And yet Scripture, Scripture is constantly – it talks about – Obviously, soccer, because Jesus saves. He was a goalie. Um, and then running all the stinking time. But 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26 says this. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? This is obviously not current modern thinking. Okay? Um, this is back when only the first person got something. All right. Um, okay. Uh, okay. Too soon. Okay. So run to win. Is anybody competitive? Are any of you, like, really competitive? Nope. Like, you get involved in some ridiculous 
activity that, that you maybe have no business doing. Let's say maybe you haven't played ping pong in 40 years. I know none of you are 40. Nobody in this room is 40. But let's say you haven't played ping pong in 10 years. And yet after Chi Alpha, we go downstairs into the Pelton Lounge and we play some ping pong. I am fully aware that some of you are like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush everybody. You're probably terrible. But you still have this competitive nature like, I'm going to kill them. Okay? This is, this almost feels like a, well, duh statement that Paul is writing this. Hey, don't you guys, you guys, this is, this is not him going, don't you guys know that everybody runs to win? This is like one of those, it's, it could have even been a joke. Like, Paul, you know, people would have been reading Paul's letters and they'd be like, ha, 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 that's hilarious. Don't you know that everybody runs to win? Of course we do. Obviously, we know that. And so Paul says this, so run to win. Run the race to actually win, not just to finish, okay? As a, a cyclist, as somebody that enjoys cycling, I'm going to tell you right now, it is very unlikely I'm ever going to win a cycling race unless it's just me and Kinder and Trevor. Um, and then maybe... And then maybe, that wasn't a dig, okay? Uh, or maybe any of you, as long as you're not using the e-bikes that the school has. Um, and even then, it might be difficult. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to win that race. But there's a race I can win. We'll get to that in just a second. All athletes, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. You need to, you really need to pay attention to this right here. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Every step that you take, especially when you walk out these doors on Wednesday nights, every step that you take, are you taking that step with purpose? And I'm not saying so you get better at whatever your craft is. We're at a university where 98% of you are at least scholarship athletes. Almost that many are also athletes, but all of you are at least scholarship athletes for the most part. But run with purpose in every step. I told you this before we kind of really, like right at the beginning of starting Chi Alpha, what you do, it does matter, okay? Uh, I know many of you are very disciplined. You guys work hard for your sport, whatever it may be, but I'm telling you right now, your walk with Christ your pursuit of Jesus is infinitely more important than your education, than your sport. Now, hear me very clearly. I am not ever going to say that education or your sport is not important. It is important. Jesus is, you know, education is important. Jesus is importanter. Um, okay, that's kind of funny as a sticker, but that's not funny in reality because stupid Christians drive me crazy. But your pursuit of Jesus is the most important thing you can do in this life. Not to downplay anything else. Please, I want you to pursue your master's and your PhDs. I want you to pursue whatever sport you do to be the best at what it is. In your education, be the best that you can be in that. Do that with purpose. But I'm also telling you, Pursue Jesus on purpose. 
discipline. Man, when we talk about discipline, we... Like, if you have an all of a sudden, your coach calls a meeting and he starts or she starts talking about discipline, you're probably already like, oh, crap. How many up-downs? How many laps? How many, what do I got to do? What did we do as a team? How did we screw up? You're thinking about punishment. I want to change your perspective. Okay, so discipline. Oftentimes, we look at discipline as a punishment. Okay, this is what I want, and this is how I want you to start thinking about it. It's bringing order to disorder. That's what discipline is. I'm going to bring order to disorder in my mind, in my body, and my spirit. Now, this can be true even in your sport. Okay? In your education, this is true. Bringing order to disorder. Your grades might be out of order. (laughs) You're like, first off, it is the first week. It's day three, y'all, of the semester. If your grades are already screwed up, let's get you some help. Um, Teach you how to drop out of a class or something. I don't know. But it's day three. Okay, hopefully you're not super, like, your mind's exploding about your grades right now. But whatever. So discipline. Discipline is bringing order to disorder. So we know that there is a price to be paid for greatness. But when we love what we have given ourselves, but when we love what we have given ourselves to, um, she was a D1 swimmer, by the way, who quit walked away from a full ride scholarship for swimming to pursue Jesus, which is also crazy. Anyway, um, the price does not seem too great, too great at all. So why as Christians do so many of us resent the fact that Jesus asks for everything when we become his followers? Mm. Like, think about your craft and how hard you're willing to work for your craft You go to practice, especially in season, you go to practice every single day. Some of you might go to practice twice a day. Lucky. You go to practice. You watch film. You watch other people do whatever it is that you do. You talk to a coach that helps you with your footwork or whatever it may be. I'm trying to be as general as I can because I know there's so many sports that are represented in this room. Some other sports I know nothing about. Most. Anyway. Uh, but why do so many of us resent the fact that Jesus asks us for everything to become his followers? Like, I want to give Jesus X, Y, and Z when I become his follower. But this I'm not really willing to give up. I don't know what that this is for you. I don't. Those of you that I know better, that we hang out more... I have an idea. Or if we hung out more, I could probably have an idea of what that is. It's easier for others to see that in us that are, that are close to us. The things that we hold on to that we don't like to let go. But John 5, 5 through 8 says this, English Standard Version. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. I'm 38. Anyway, oh, Jesus saw him. I knew he had been ill for a long time. He asked him, would you like to get well? This might feel like almost as an, like an insult. So what's going on here, there's a pool that sometimes, I don't know if this actually happened or not. It's weird because it talks about it in Scripture, but it never actually confirms or denies whether this pool actually healed people or not. But it says that in Scripture, this guy who's 
talking to Jesus about is like, yeah, sometimes this pool, the water gets stirred and it gets stirred by an angel and the first person in gets healed. And I'm going to guess that if you're crippled, you don't want to be the second person into a pool of water. Right. It's a different kind of healing. All right. Anybody? Okay, all right. Um, but when Jesus saw him, he knew he'd been ill for a long time. And so he asked him, would you like to get well? When you're sick, would it not almost feel like an insult if somebody looked at you like, well, do you want to get well? But Jesus asked a question that we rarely ask ourselves. Do you want to get well? Do you, want a clo- do you actually want a closer relationship with Jesus? Do you want to see your teammates come to find and follow Jesus? Do you want to see your roommates and the people in your dorm come to find and follow Jesus? Do you want to see your coach's life transform and change because he or she falls in love with Jesus? Yeah. I'm talking about something that could happen at this university that would change it, that would completely change the face of this university. Because right now, It's a quasi-Christian university. It says it's Christian on the outside, but the moment you step in, you don't even have to step on campus to know that there's nothing Christian about this university. There's nothing that is Christ-like on this university. I'm not saying that to be negative or detrimental, but what I'm saying is there is so much potential at this university for the Holy Spirit to move and to shatter people's lives in a good way. In a way that can transform this university, the marketplace in the world. Yeah. Would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. I want to say the words of Jesus over you. Tonight, This semester, spring semester, I know it doesn't feel like spring because it's not, but spring semester of 2023, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. If Jesus comes to heal the sick, if he gives sight to the blind, but he can also make the lame walk. I would venture to say many of us in this room would probably look at our journey of faith and oftentimes if we go back over it, it would feel like our journey of faith is lame and there's no legs under it. Like we've been in this holding pattern, this same place for forever. We go to Chi Alpha, we go to church, we maybe pray once in a while, we do things because we're supposed to. But it's this... Ugh, but it's lame. It needs the power of the Holy Spirit to give you legs. And so Jesus says to this lame man the same thing he says to you. Pick up your mat and walk. Yeah. Instantly, the man was healed. The guy didn't say anything. Like, this is crazy to me. Because Jesus, Jesus didn't first go, well, do you actually believe in me? Um, are you going to serve me for the rest of your life? Are you going to follow me? Hmm? I don't know if I can heal you. You're not a Christian yet. 
word hasn't been invented yet, but you're not one. So I don't know if I can heal you, but Jesus does it anyway. This is an important thing that we're going to come back to in just a second. But instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began to walk. We're going to jump from verse 9 down to verse 14. And this is verse 14. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. (laughs) So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. This is a really weird verse. Because when I read this verse, you know what I think of? I think of punishment. I think of discipline that we talked about. But a better biblical definition of discipline is bringing order to disorder. And so what Jesus is doing here is not saying, oh, you better, you better not. You better not. I, I need you when, whenever you read this verse, or even when I read this, and Jesus is saying, stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. I think, need you to understand, have this picture of Jesus being so sincere and out of a broken heart He's saying, dude, dude, don't go back to that. I'm telling you, it it won't end well. It hasn't, and you know this. You know this in your own life. Don't go back to that. Because it's not going to end well. Not because Jesus is going to just drop the hammer and crush him. But Jesus knows. Dude, bro, don't go back to that. It's going to destroy you. Here's the best thing about this story. Jesus heals him anyway. We don't know if the man goes back to whatever it is that he goes back to. We don't know that if he goes, keeps on sinning or not. We're going to look at another story next week. Same kind of concept, but a different story. But Jesus says this. He says, now that you are well, just stop sinning or something even worse may happen. Don't think of this as condemnation. It's easy to look at that verse and think condemnation. It's easy to. It's easy to read scripture. I'm telling you, it's easy to read scripture or even talk to a Christian who's been a Christian for a long time and feel condemnation on yourself. Or if somebody asks you to pray for them because they know you're a Christian, but you also know that all day long you haven't done anything that would look like Jesus, and you're like, ugh, you feel that condemnation? Anytime we read scripture and feel or sense condemnation, our heads and our hearts are out of focus. Here's why. There is only one accuser of the saints. It's not Jesus. Mm. Literally, it is a title given to Satan. So anytime you feel condemnation, that's not God. That's not Jesus. Jesus is like, dude, I, I, if you're going to screw up, fine, whatever, but then come back. But when you come back, he's going to be like, that's great, but please stop sinning because something worse might happen. That's not condemnation. That's him in his absolute love and mercy towards you and towards me is saying, I love you so much. I want to warn you and say what you are going to, what you are running to, what your mouth is taking you to, what your hands are doing, what your feet is running towards. Stop doing it because something worse might happen. Some of you may have already experienced that in your life. Yeah. You might have. But anytime we, we read scripture and we feel condemnation... This is what condemnation also looks like. It's this idea of, I, you know, I don't think I can come to God. I don't think I can talk to him. Guys, so tonight at Hope Anthem, we had a prayer service. 
Um, and there, there was a, I need to be careful with, with I'm not going to use any names or anything like that. But in the middle, middle of the prayer service, there was some, some things going on. And I was asked um, to go with uh, Lindsay, who is Pastor Jared's wife, and have a conversation with these people. This, this, one of the ladies that I talked to did daycare for like 40 or 50 something years. Years. Okay? So she's a little bit older than most of the people in this room. Okay? She grew up Catholic, had somebody close to her pass away in her life, and so at that moment she kind of blamed God and walked away from God. We're talking a lady who is later on in life, not like ancient, just she's a little bit older. And in that room, she broke down into tears because she didn't feel like she was allowed or worthy to talk to God, to ask God for anything. Mm. For anything. This is why when I say, if you can learn this now to practice the presence of God, to understand that God wants you in his presence. By the way, you can't get it, escape it, so might as well acknowledge it. <laughs> but God wants you so bad to understand that you're in his presence, he's willing to die for it. He's willing to die for it. So anytime you hear a message, if you go to church on Sundays and you hear somebody preaching, anytime you hear me up here reading scripture or talking, if ever you feel condemnation, I need you to know you're listening to the enemy of your soul and not to Jesus. That's, again, also not condemnation. That's like, yo, listen to the right voice. Our hearts and our minds are out of focus. This is why we pause and we say God is here. The presence of the almighty God is in this room. The power to raise the dead is right here in this place. Scripture tells us where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. God's here. But my words, what I do with my hands, where my feet take me, had better represent Jesus. Not for shame, because shame and condemnation are the same thing. Because if, if ever you're reading scripture and, or somebody's like, well, shame on you for not blah, 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 blah. Again, who's the accuser? It's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. He doesn't accuse you. There's no accusation that he brings against you. You want to know Why? Because he took it completely and totally on himself. That's the purpose of the cross. That way when you walk your hall, when you're in your dorm by yourself, when you're on your field or your mat or your court or your track or whatever else it might be, in your computer chair if you're one of those, um, <laughs> whatever it may be, you can still represent Jesus by everything you do and say. Your teammates, your roommates, your coaches, and your teachers are literally dying, waiting to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus didn't die for them so that he could get something from them, but that he died for them simply because he loves them. If Jesus can die for you and for me simply because he loves us, then he also died for the people that you can't stand the most. I'm not saying you have to go after them. Go after the people you like first, if you need to. It's a little easier that way. All right. 
John 3, 17 says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We know John 3, 16. You've probably heard it. Or maybe you've seen a football player with it right under his eyeball or something like that. On one of those black thingies that, I don't know what they do. Supposedly they keep the glare away. I don't know. I'm not an athlete. Um, <laughs> but think about all the times that people have even talked to you about, oh, I can't go to church. I might burst into flames. I can't go to church. It's just uncomfortable. That condemnation is not coming from Jesus. When you feel condemnation, it's not coming from Jesus. Because Jesus only offers love. He offers love. He offers love. There is grace, and his grace is sufficient. Wow, that made a weird ring. That was kind of fun. But his grace is sufficient. Meaning, any time, the deepest, darkest hole you have ever dug yourself into or fallen into emotionally, his grace is still sufficient. All right. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You may know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know the whole thing. This is right after it. We often forget this verse. And we definitely, even if you know it, you often forget that God is not the God who condemns. There is only one accuser that's not Jesus. So let's get some more out of this. So first one is this, get off the couch and run the race. Some of you have sat in the same pew at church for your whole life. Some of you have not been pushed. You've not been asked to do anything greater. Just like your coaches will be like, hey, listen, you're going to run, not as a punishment, but because I know that you can be better, so we're going to get in better shape so that you can do whatever the activity is with better speed, with better whatever it may be. We're going to do these different drills. Are drills boring? Absolutely. It's monotonous, but they're supposed to be monotonous, so you know exactly what to do when you get to that situation in the game or whatever it is that you play. But some of you have done the exact same thing in your walk with Jesus the exact same way for the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years. 18, 19, however old you are, 21. You've done the exact same thing. I'm saying that there's more. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you there's more. Right. There's always more. It does always, there is a cost to it. You want to get better at your sport? You practice. Why is it any different? It's not. Following Jesus isn't any different other than the fact that it means something later on. <laughs> if, if the only reason that you're following Jesus is so you don't go to hell, I'm sorry. That, is, that sucks. It's a miserable life. And if Jesus offers joy, I want joy. He offers life and life more abundantly. If you haven't felt that, it's because you're not experiencing that. And you haven't experienced Jesus in a way that helps you feel that. And what do we do at Chi Alpha? I want you to experience Jesus. Okay. So get off the couch and run the race. I hate running. Absolutely hate it. It's silly. Ugh, it's so terrible. But it's so basic. It is. Even runners will tell you, well, yeah, it's basic. But really, really good runners also have a special form that they just know makes them stupid fast and they can run forever but it takes that silly thing we call discipline but the first thing I'm going to do so like there's 
all sorts of apps that help you run a 5K or something like that, like Couch to 5K and all these other things. Uh, it, there isn't one, but like a Couch to 5K Spiritual Edition or something like that. Um, <laughs> how to go from a plump, chubby Christian sitting on the couch not doing anything to being able to run 5K for Jesus. Uh, I'm not doing that. That's just silly. Um, so, but get off your couch and run the race. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, woohoo, that word's in there again, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance. Paul really needs a new sport, but let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Bring order to disorder. I this is me. This is Jeremiah speaking right now. I need to bring order to disorder. There are three areas we need to cover real quick. First one is this, your heart. You need to bring order to disorder over your emotions. Are your emotions in control? Now, I get it. I get it. There may be some days where you just, emotionally, you're just constipated or whatever else. Um, or, like, you just can't not cry. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. But if this is the life you're living in, if you're constantly going to this state where you're focused always on your emotion and how you're feeling, you need to bring order to disorder. Because mm-hmm. the way you're living is sin. This is not condemnation. This is me bringing truth and saying, hey, there's a better way. There's a better way. All right. So bringing order to disorder over my heart, my emotions. Bringing order to disorder, to disorder over my mind. The way I think. The same person I was just telling you about. Earlier tonight, she's a much older person, but she's in this thought process of, I am not good enough. I am not worthy enough. There's no reason for me to approach Jesus. I can't do that. Anytime you get to that point, anytime you feel that way, what you are saying is your sin is greater than the cross. And I can tell you right now, your sin is not greater than the cross. It never has been and it never will be. It can't be. It's theologically impossible. All right. But I need to bring order to disorder over my thoughts. When my thoughts begin to run wild with fear, with anxiety, with whatever it may be, I need to bring order to that disorder. I need to find discipline. How do I find discipline? The Word of God. That's it. It's spending time with Jesus and actually reading the Word of God. All right. Third one is this body, my habits. Now, here's the thing. I know I've gone over my time, and that's okay. I am promise I'm going to be done soon. When I say habits, this is what I mean. There may be things. Paul says this in the, in the New Testament. He says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Okay? There are things, there are habits that you have in your life that on surface level may not be classified as sin according to Scripture. But there may be habits that you have. There may be things that you do that for you, because they are a distraction from the gospel, a distraction from Jesus, they are sin for you. I don't know how to, how to explain that to you any other way. But there are habits that you may have. There may be things that you do that while, yes, the Bible may not call them sin in and of themselves... But there may be habits that you have, and you need to bring order to that disorder. 
Because that habit, that thing that you do, whatever it may be, again, this should not sound like condemnation because it's not condemnation. But there are habits that we have that do not reflect Christ in us. Vices that we go to may be, in fact, sin or may not be, in fact, sin, according to Scripture, according to the Bible. But because it distracts us from our walk, because it distracts others from their walk, Paul also says, don't be a stumbling block for your brothers and sisters. He doesn't say sisters, but we'll look over that for now. It's a different culture. Romans 6, 12 through 14 says this, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body. It should be as, as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the joy that you give us, for the favor that you are offering. God, I pray for every student in this room tonight. God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would wreck this campus for you. God, we pray for revival on this campus that what was dead will come back to life. God, that we would see people come to find and follow you. God, I pray that we would see healings, that we would see people who have been sick be healed. God, I pray that those who are lame would be able to walk. God, I pray for, for blind eyes to be opened, for sight to be given to those who are blind. God, I pray for those who are spiritually lost. To come face to face with the almighty God. God, may you open our eyes to see you. May you open our hearts to experience you. God, I pray for every student in this room tonight that you would guide their steps, that the words of their mouth and the meditation of their heart would be pleasing to you.